0: The far right wing seems to start to turn on Ken Paxton. What's going on here? Welcome to The Texas Take, the number one political podcast in the great state. My name is Scott Braddock. I'm editor at QuorumReport.com, and his name is Jeremy Wallace. You can find him at HoustonChronicle.com. Hello, sir.
1: Oh, good to go here, right? Can can you feel it in the air? Can you feel the elections approaching?
0: It, it's um, it's an electric feeling when the yep. elections are on the way. This weekend is sort of the uh, opening shot, right, when the uh, candidates can actually start to put their names on the ballot. And let me actually start with this. I'll get to Ken Paxton in a second. Um, you have the candidates qualifying for the ballot for about the next month, and we now have a record number of voters in Texas who are registered, correct?
1: Yep. Yeah, We Where we, we, at? Just, we just topped 17 million registered voters. And you just got to like understand in two years, that's almost two million, you know, or actually two million voters in the last four years and three and a half million uh, in the last eight years. So that's three and a half million additional people added to the voter registration rolls since the first time Governor Greg Abbott got mm-hmm. elected governor.
0: Remarkable. And we'll talk about Abbott coming up here uh, at some length. He is already out on the campaign trail. But let's begin uh, here and really uh, dig into the race for attorney general, because it's been for all the talk of you know a crowded field and lots of people running. There are some Democratic candidates and a lot of Republicans running, and that number seems to be growing this week. It still seems kind of sleepy, Jeremy. Uh, you know, no matter how much people talk about all of the personal legal issues of the attorney general ken paxton and i mean when i say people when i say journalists and the political chattering class we all talk about this but out there among the broader electorate i feel like people don't care as much for some reason and none of this seems to really resonate with folks how many stories have we done both at houstonchronicle.com quorumreportcom and across media there have been The reports about allegations against him by conservative members of his own staff. And it still seems like a lot of people just kind of snooze at the whole thing. Why do you think that is?
1: Yeah, it's weird. It's like it's on a slow simmer in the background rather Mm. than kind of the boil that it seems like it should have going right now, given that, you know, like you said, it's like these are Republicans, you know, you know, and conservatives who have been raising concerns and complaints against mm-hmm. the Republican attorney general. It's like it's crazy, right? And it seems right. like it's just not getting as much energy as I would have expected, even maybe from it's, Republicans.
0: Yeah, maybe it's going to now. I think part of what has been missing is, and I thought maybe uh, State Representative Matt Krause would bring this to the table, but he hasn't really. He's gone mm-hmm. off on his own book burning tour or whatever. We'll get into that uh, a little bit later in the show. Um, But now you have the sizzle, if you will, on the right. Uh, Someone who cannot, by any stretch of the imagination, be called a rhino or a liberal Republican or moderate Republican at all. Uh, Louis Gohmert, longtime congressman from Tyler, Texas, from deep East Texas, is now saying that what he's going to potentially run for AG if he can raise a million dollars over the next nine days, something like that. I was thinking about it, Jeremy. Um, it could be, and because they don't have to report their finances right away, he could just say that he raised a million dollars and go for it, right? And then come back to that pesky fact later. Yeah. We'll see how that goes. But Louis Gomert, no liberal, and now he is going right at Ken Paxton. Let me establish for you, uh, because I'm sure we have some listeners, maybe not many, but some. Uh, who are not that familiar with Congressman Gomer? Let me establish for you that he is no liberal. Here he was talking about the way the Democratic majority was working to pass a coronavirus relief bill. This is from a speech on the floor of the United States House of Representatives.
2: Thank you, Mr. Speaker, and let me just read from the Constitution. Thank you very much. Article One, Section Five: Each house shall be the judge of the elections, returns, and qualifications of its own members, and a majority of each shall constitute a quorum. You can't pass a bill on this floor with proxies and have it upheld unless you change the Constitution, and this doesn't do it. Now, some here say. But if it saves one life, it's worth it. How about the million Americans who laid down their lives, not for a wishy-washy, oh, maybe we should be afraid of, we might get something and die. They didn't do that in the Spanish flu days. They didn't do it in the Civil War, but now we're going to do it. Come
1: on.
0: Passionate speech yeah. from Congressman Gohmert. I was, I was having a lot of fun, Jeremy, going through the, uh, the Gohmert files today.
1: Yeah, I, I'm, the one thing you can definitely never use to describe <laughs> Louis Gohmert is subtle. There's never been right. anything subtle about Louis Gohmert's entire life.
0: <laughs> yeah, here, here was something that was a little. <laughs> here's something that was a little more measured. Um, but speaking of the coronavirus, this is what uh, Congressman Gohmert recommended people take for the disease.
2: They had discovered a, a regimen of medication that, when taken together early in COVID, that uh, You may have heard of it. Hydroxychloroquine, ivermectin, uh, um, a a azithromycin, zinc.
0: Anything other than a vaccine. He was uh, speaking at the Texas Youth Summit uh, when he said all that. Now, if you will indulge me, because I was going through the government files here. Here's an amazing flashback for you. This is uh, from 2010. Who could forget Congressman Louis Gohmert confronting CNN's Anderson Cooper. This goes in the classic file uh, about the conspiracy theory that immigrants were coming across the border to have babies in the United States so that those babies would then have citizenship and then could grow up and later commit acts of terrorism in the United States. This was dubbed uh, terror babies was the controversy, terror babies. We're gonna talk about Muppets a little bit later, if you can believe it. It made me think of Muppet babies. These were terror, uh, terror babies. Um, and listen to Gomert confronting Anderson Cooper on CNN when I was pulling the video of this, uh, Jeremy, when I was watching it. It's amazing to see how young Congressman Gomert and Anderson Cooper look in this.
3: So before going on the House floor and spreading this story, did you, did you call the FBI?
2: You're gonna keep me honest? You tell the world that you got an FBI statement. You bring on a retired FBI uh, former supervisor, and he says, We were not aware of any credible report that this was going on. I brought it to the attention of America for this reason. It was here. I'm a former judge. I know. Did did you bring it to the attention of the FBI? Did you call the FBI? I brought it to my attention on the. uh, She brought it to my attention on an airplane uh, having flown together and she brought that to my attention that's why i was talking to the retired fbi agent about it and so having talked to him no i didn't talk to them because the point is when we did the research we found the whole existed now if you want me to what come research what research can you tell us and about you're the research attacking the messenger.
0: And now of course None of that was happening. It is all completely insane. Here is State Representative Rafael Anchia back in 2010 telling Anderson Cooper, he was also on CNN uh, with Cooper, uh, saying, look, here are the realities of immigration policy surrounding this question of anchor babies, which is what Gohmert was trying to turn into somehow uh, being able to you know, spin this conspiracy theory of terror babies. The, the, the broader issue is, you know, why are we having a discussion
2: about, uh, quote unquote, anchor babies? Uh, if a person has a child here, that child uh, cannot petition for their parents or a sibling to be here in the United States for a period of, of 10 years. And that petition can only begin after they're 21 years old. So the fact that for, for people to suggest that people are coming here and having babies as a way to anchor themselves on an, on an undocumented basis in this country is just not correct.
0: All right. So the guy who kicked off this whole debate about the terror babies and I'm I'm laying all this out to just say there's a long history of Louie Gohmert as a congressman saying this kind of stuff and appealing to the far right wing base. And to say this, he has a lot of credibility with that base. This is somebody who's on Fox News Channel all the time. He's on Newsmax all the time and probably on some of the other far right media that I've never even seen, Jeremy. Um, And speaking of conservative media... Uh, He was on the Mark Davis show in Dallas Fort Worth uh, the day after he announced that he's looking at a run for attorney general against Ken Paxton and what he told Davis was that Paxton's answers so far about all of his own personal legal problems and the scandal about having a mistress and an inappropriate relationship with a shady developer in Austin, all this sort of stuff, what Gomert says that Paxton's explanations of all of it have been pretty weak sauce. As he was
4: responding to George P. Bush and Eva Guzman and Matt Krause, the three people that had announced they're running for attorney general, his answers kind of made me mad and uh look the seven top people we're talking about his first assistant attorney general jeff Mateer, one of the finest people in the state conservative movement leader and he led the seven top lawyers at the attorney general's office all republicans you know we're not talking rhinos here And when they all signed a letter to the FBI saying Ken Paxton, we believe, has committed crimes and needs to answer for them, uh, that was serious. And for them to be called criminals and maligned, these are conservative people of integrity.
0: Now, Gomert's talking about the former employees in Paxton's office who accuse him of abusive office, bribery, and a whole lot more. And speaking of blasts from the past, Jeremy, Gomert then did something that sort of got my um, political, historical juices running because he started comparing this race to a race I covered years ago in 2006 when the former House Majority Leader, Tom DeLay, lost his seat as a Republican. To a Democrat in a seat that he probably um, never should have lost, and Republicans certainly, you know, certainly should have been able to hold on to at that time.
4: It happened in Tom Delay's uh, congressional case. He won the primary, got indicted, and Tom was being a team player. Said, "Take my name off the ballot." The Democrats sued. Texas law says you can't remove a name from the from the general election ballot if the person won the primary. Paxton only won with 50.57% of the vote in 2018. When all the stuff that comes out, comes out, he's not gonna be able to win. And then you'll have all the big cities of Texas with Democrat DAs and a Democrat attorney general to protect them.
0: Interesting, Jeremy. He is saying that, look, you may have a timeline play out exactly like what happened with delay. And I remember uh, covering all this over the, Uh, period from 2002 to 2006 in Texas should be a book when Republicans uh, pushed along with Texas Association of Business and some major corporations to gain a majority for Republicans in the Texas House of Representatives. Then in 2003, they did a mid-decade redistricting to cement the GOP majority, which we still have to this day after a couple of, you know, a few more Uh, a couple more uh, redistrictings. Uh, But the net effect was that Republicans are in charge, but DeLay was vanquished. He, He basically had to leave public office because he was indicted on money laundering charges. I stood outside the Fort Bend County jail in 2006, waiting for Tom DeLay to turn himself in on money laundering charges. And the deal was he fooled all of us up. The sheriff in Fort Bend County told reporters in Houston that DeLay was going to turn himself in there in Richmond, but instead, he turned himself in in harris county and he had this big grin in his uh, in his mug shot he had you know he'd pull one over on the on the houston press corps uh so i think that's one argument that might have some traction with republican voters where and you know probably a lot of them don't remember that race but uh, delay did win a four-way um primary only to then be under indictment and try to get off the ballot And you have Gohmert saying, look, if that happens with Paxton, which is totally possible given everything that's happened, everything that's happened so far and what's happening now, uh, then you might have a situation where Democrats would be able to pick up this seat. Now, Davis asked this question. He said, okay. That sounds like a lot of inside baseball. What about the fact that GOP primary voters love the fact that Paxton filed that lawsuit to try to overturn election results in other states on behalf of former president Trump and Gomert had an answer for that. He said, you know what, Paxton screwed that case up.
4: He actually hurt the case. There was no way he was going to win this because Texas had done some of the same things he was alleging other states did. So that was a lapse in judgment for him to jump in. But he was trying to get some good PR. He did. He's still carrying that good PR. But he should not have been the one to file that suit.
0: In fact, Paxton promoting, once again, his relationship with Trump everywhere. They're having a fundraiser coming up next month at Mar-a-Lago in Florida, which we reported that first at uh, quorumreport.com. Jeremy, how do you think that this... Shakes up the race potentially, even if Gohmert doesn't eventually uh, announce officially for AG. It seems like things are changing here.
1: Yeah, it's certainly cooking. You know, it's like, uh, one thing to kind of you know listen for, watch for Sunday morning. Uh, it looks like uh, Ken Paxson is going to be on Fox News Sunday, uh, and. You know they're they're pretty tough on that show at times, so I'm I'm sure yeah. he'll still get some you know pretty good questions about the well because this is race. This,
0: this is the Chris Wallace show and not the Laura Ingram show.
1: Yeah, absolutely, a very different uh, like apples and oranges for sure. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, it, I and and you heard Gomer kind of make the case, and and you know to make it you know maybe a little bit stronger. Like remember Paxton barely gets over fifty percent of the vote in 2018, right. and that's you know before Texans learned about all of this other stuff that's happened in the last two years. This is before, you know, his own staff was criticizing him and saying he violated, you know, laws and ethics and all kinds of stuff. And so you have that all, like, since then. So it's like, Mm -hmm. it's hard to imagine him doing better than 50%, you know, Mm -hmm. given everything that's happened. Granted, you know, the one thing that he has going for him, and as you all pointed out, a quorum report, Trump. Trump has already endorsed him. You know, he knows he has the support of you know President Trump. So he could win this primary mm-hmm. with, you know, Trump's support, but then be very vulnerable for Democrats. And I'll say right now, if there's any Democrat or any Republican that's gonna lose their re election in Texas statewide, it's gonna be Ken Paxton first. If you had that, to pick one, he'd be the first one. Yeah. Right? If you had to say, Okay, you have to pick one that's gonna go, like that, that mm. could go, most likely to go down would be Ken Paxton, just again, based on you know the the scandals around him yeah. and the fact that he barely survived a race against Justin Nelson, who nobody knew in 2018 when he was running against Ken Paxton. Mm-hmm. It's not like he had a lot of money to make much hay out of it. The Democrats, you know, depending on who comes out of their primary, I'm sure are going to be able to find a national you know fundraising source to go against this guy who's become a national figure.
0: Right um, on the campaign trail, Greg Abbott down in south texas he was in uh new county in corpus christi at one of those uh one of those dance halls down there that kind of looks like green hall but it's not yeah exactly right? it has
1: a <laughs> the facade of green hall actually in but it it's not. and i'm like is that yeah. real <laughs>
0: Um, And you traveled down there this past weekend to check out what kind of messages that Abbott is delivering to some of these crowds that showed up uh, in his uh, different uh, appearances. We saw that he was promoting videos of himself in Cameron County and a few other places. So you wanted to, you know, get down there and figure out what these reactions are like, right? Let's listen to some of uh, what you heard him say there. First of all, he was talking about the fact that uh, South Texas, in uh, a lot of ways, relies on the oil and gas industry, and this is always, uh, you know, one of the greatest hits, right, for Texas Republicans is to say that GOP leadership here is on the side of the oil and gas industry, and the Biden administration is against it.
5: Well, this region that we are given in right now, there are so many people of every type of background, including Hispanic, who work in the robust energy industry that we have here in the Lone Star State. Wave your hand if you're involved in an energy-related job of some kind or some sort. So many people, so here's the deal. We know that Hispanics, they support the high-paying energy sector jobs that we have in Texas and you support energy independence for the United States of America. At the same time, however, at the same time, we see Joe Biden and the Democrats killing those high-paying energy jobs. And believe it or not, Joe Biden is begging OPEC to create more oil. Not Texas, but OPEC. That is disgusting that the president of the United States wants to go begging to OPEC again. He should come to Texas if he wants more oil production.
0: Sort of a false choice there. I mean, it's a global market for uh, for hydrocarbons. Um, and now, now you did hear a specific appeal to Hispanics there. Keep that in mind as he talks about illegal immigration.
5: Now, another thing that I know again from my own wife's family, but also from the thousands of Hispanics that I know in Texas, as well this is all Texans, we all believe in legal immigration into the United States, yeah. but we disagree with lawless, reckless immigration policies like Biden's open border policies that are wrecking the United States of America.
0: It sounded like one person got excited about that and then sort of (laughs) other people joined in. And he also said, and here's where I think it gets uh, extra interesting, Jeremy, because a lot of that is standard Republican messaging, Uh, but he's definitely setting up a contrast, not between so much himself and his primary opponents, but between himself and the potential Democratic candidate against him, Beto O'Rourke. And on that, he talked about Second Amendment rights.
5: I signed seven laws protecting your Second Amendment rights, including making Texas a constitutional carry state. And a law making Texas a Second Amendment sanctuary state prohibiting Joe Biden from coming in and taking your guns the way that Beto said it was going to do.
0: So Beto's going to take the guns. Biden's going to take the guns. What? I mean, I, I can kind of hear the crowd reaction, but, but what did they look like? What did they sound like? You were there. Uh, one of the things that I always tell young reporters when they're first covering a campaign rally is, turn around and look the other way like you look at the politician but then turn the other way see what is the intensity level of the crowd how are they receiving all this jeremy
1: yeah well, well it, 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 this was a set up crowd for sure you know it's like the, the places where you know governor abbott has been in the last week uh place he's been in midland and oasis county uh and speaking to groups that are uh uh, very Hispanic. They're like Hispanic Republican groups are, are, have put these, you know, events together. And mm-hmm. so he's speaking to this crowd, which, you know, you know, put it in the context of, you know, what we know about what's happened in the last couple of election cycles. You know, here he is trying to, you know, grab onto that glimmer of hope that a lot of Republicans say Donald Trump has given them with Hispanic voters, particularly in South Texas. And you could hear it in those clips that Abbott was just laying on strong. If if yeah, the, the I didn't count the number of times I heard the word Hispanic, but it was mm-hmm. a lot. <laughs> it was a frequent mention of, you know, him, you know, being it, married to somebody who's Hispanic right. and him understanding Hispanics. And this is important to Hispanics. And mm-hmm. I understand Hispanic. It's like, it was a lot of that. And you, so it was kind of an over, over the top pitch to kind of, you know, tell Hispanics, Hey, don't listen to Beto. <laughs> I'm the guy you want to go. And, And the other interesting part was him being in Oasis County. Oasis County has become, you know, it's like it used to be a little bit more of a competitive zone, but uh, but you saw Donald Trump actually expand his margin of victory uh, from Mm -hmm. 2016 to 2020 uh, down there. Uh, But what's interesting is Beto carried it, so he's kind of been the weird like anomaly in the whole thing. Where Beto, so you know, put in the context of Abbott is in a county that Beto orourke won trying Mm -hmm. to appeal to Hispanics on oil and guns and trying to remind everybody of how he and Republicans think Beto went too far to the left during his presidential campaign and are hoping that will sink him in 2022.
0: Well, and I heard him mention Beto there when he was talking about guns. Did he talk about him a lot or was it kind of confined to the comments about uh, about the Second Amendment or was was there more of that?
1: Yeah, more more confined to the Second Amendment. It was really kind of the only area that he went after Beto specifically. Most of the rest of it was about, you know, you know, trying to go to Biden and the Democrats, talking about them being socialist and how, you know, he's gonna fight the socialism and you know, he brought up, you know, like obviously the greatest hits, oil's oil, border guns <laughs> you well, know it's I, like you got to have those things but he also brought up a critical race theory and right. afterwards i talked to him and he told me it's like like seeing what happened to virginia he thinks the same kind of stuff is going to happen here where there's right. a lot of frustration with the biden administration and it's going to come out in either critical race theory he said and in oil in you know the economy and he mm-hmm. thinks that's what's that's the route in Texas to protect him going into 2022.
0: That's interesting. You know, he was on NBC five in Dallas talking about this whole issue of whether there is pornography in our public school libraries. And I say issue I'm using that word loosely. The reason I'm using it loosely is because there has been one reported case of this. Allegedly there was a book uh, in the Keller ISD that depicts homosexual sex between cartoon characters. It's a, a graphic novel, right? Um, And um, it is something that Abbott and other Republicans have seized on to say, once again, there's something in our schools that parents don't like and should be able to have input on. And you mentioned Virginia where uh, Terry McAuliffe, the Democratic candidate, gave Republicans everything they ever needed with one sentence by saying during a debate that parents shouldn't be telling the schools what they should teach the children. At some point, you have to blame the candidates themselves for the way this stuff goes, is my point. But Abbott was asked about this by Julie Fine, who's the reporter there at the NBC station in Dallas, about whether he wants school administrators or employees to be arrested over this because he has said that it's potentially criminal activity going on at public school campuses all across the
6: state. The reason why we're doing this, Julie, is is I have seen this material that was in school books in in, an ISD in the state of Texas, Uh, and it it is pornographic material. It it, it meets the definition of pornography, uh, and state law prohibits uh, the dissemination of pornography to anybody uh, under the age of 18. And so uh, that's a criminal violation, and that criminal violation has occurred
0: Now, she asked him specifically whether or not someone should be arrested. That was the answer. So he's not saying yes, right, in response. He's saying that this has happened, and you heard him say it happened once at the place that I mentioned in the Keller ISD. Uh, It was a book called Gender Queer, and it depicts cartoon sex, as I said, between two men. I'm saying that because it's a comic book. Um, And if it's offensive, then, you know, to, to certain people, maybe it shouldn't be in the in the school library i saw where some and again one one incident of this apparently i saw where some libraries were doing demonstrations online jeremy of what the uh shelves in their libraries would look like if you started to take out every book that might offend someone and you end up with empty shelves right the um te- uh, texas state teachers association when all this stuff first started to trickle out about offensive books in uh, school campuses they said it's a witch hunt plain and simple And this keeps happening a lot where there might be something where there's a little grain of truth to something, but then it gets blown completely out of proportion. And you have a Texas House chairman sending letters out to school districts saying, we need to go look at what's in the classrooms and in the libraries and figure out what's going on there, demanding transparency from school districts, which I think is fine if if it was just about that. But then the same chairman who wants transparency will not say where he got his list of 800 books that he's asking about. And he didn't hold a vote in his committee on whether he should, you know, be able to send this letter to school districts all over the place. So Abbott pushing all in on this. I mean, he keeps saying the word pornography over and over and over.
6: When parents send their children to school, they have every expectation that their child is not going to be exposed to pornographic images uh, and obscene materials. And we as state leaders have an obligation to make sure that the Texas law prohibiting dissemination of pornography to children uh, is going to be upheld and enforced.
0: I think, Jeremy, what this really is about is the frustration that a lot of people broadly, not just Republicans. Have had with school districts over the last two years or so. And it's not so much about this pornography stuff, which it sounds to me, sounds trumped up. They have again, one case of this in one school district that they can even point to as something that was maybe potentially pornographic or inappropriate. We saw, uh, and you had reported uh, at uh, HoustonChronicle.com about the uh, case in the Katy ISD of, uh, of, a, of an event that had been canceled with a children's book author, and I saw the follow-up on that was that there were a ton of books sold as a result. Yeah. <laughs> it's like when these when these folks get mad at these authors, it ends up, you know, putting them at the top of the Amazon list or the New York Times bestseller list. Um, but, but I think the frustration at the school districts isn't so much about this stuff. It's about some other things. I was listening to Jeff Rowe speak on a podcast the other day. uh, And Rowe is the uh, political consultant who uh, worked on the Glenn Youngkin race in Virginia. He also has worked for Ted Cruz and others. He's a high profile Republican consultant. And he said, look, on the critical race issue. Wasn't as much about that. Some of it had to do with uh, pulling back or eliminating the gifted and talented programs in certain school districts because people think kids ought to, you know, be, have something to work toward rather than sort of all be treated the same. You saw where that uh, happened in New York City, where Mayor De Blasio said he was going to get rid of those programs, and then the incoming mayor, also a Democrat, said, "Nope, we're going to put those right back." Some of the other things they're frustrated with. I think the most frustrated is something we talked about a lot on the show previously: is the coronavirus restrictions, right? The the and and this is the deal. With those restrictions, there ain't no winning. We saw how the, the state handled it and people were mad on all sides of that, how local governments handled it and people were mad on all sides of that. And I think those were leading indicators of how angry people would be about coronavirus restrictions, whether certain things were shut down or opened up or capacity limits were put in place and all that sort of stuff. I say that the school districts are a lagging ind- indicator of all that because the kids didn't uh, have the ability to even get the vaccine until more recently. Right. And so we, they've still been talking about all that at school board meetings where we've seen people get really angry. Uh, we played the audio here on the show previously of people becoming uh, violent uh, at some of these uh, school board meetings over those issues. So people are sort of mad at school districts in general, and Abbott and some others want to give specific reasons for people to be mad at school districts to kind of stoke that fire even more.
1: Yeah, and they need this to be an issue. They need a way to get into suburban communities and change the topic from what we've had over the last year or so, right? You know, it's like because you know some of the the fight over the pandemic didn't go. You know, the way that I think a lot of Republicans wanted to a lot of Mm -hmm. suburban communities were upset that they couldn't protect their kids, you know, at schools, you know, these bans on mask mandates and things like that were actually frustrating for a lot of suburban Mm -hmm. parents who are like, no, I want my kid to have a mask on and you're telling me he's going to be around with kids that aren't. And so so I think between that issue and, you know, the power grid going out and the, uh, you know, even the abortion legislation, you know, it's like you, you saw a lot of it go maybe too far for suburban Texans, you yes. know, and this is their route back in, right? To kind of mm-hmm. hammer home this issue of like, okay, like, you know, we're gonna we're gonna you know go against these school districts that maybe are going too far. And I think there's a pathway in there for Republicans to exploit. The question is, will they go too far? Because that's mm-hmm. always the line for both parties, right? When you go too far, you probably you know, have already missed the mark, right? You're in trouble. And like they're right. they have to measure this out of how do I appeal to people without getting to the point where I'm burning books and you know, having Huckleberry <laughs> yes. you know Finn right. taken off the shelves or something.
0: There was a, there was an onion headline or the satire newspaper. I, I attended, um, a, uh, an event It was the onion live in Dallas years ago, uh, at, at, when I was working at KRLD, uh, CBS news there, uh, the promotions department had some free tickets for the onion live. And I thought, what would they even do for a live show? Cause it's a, it's a print publication and it's a, it's a website that's all text. Right. And um, They did a really wonderful deal. It was the, it was the editor and one of the comedy writers and they sat there uh, showing on a, on a projector screen, a lot of their, headlines and talking about them and how they came up with them and you know what kind of things they were playing off of to to come up with this stuff and and it was really it was really fun and fascinating a cool evening um this all reminds me of an onion headline um that i saw uh two days ago where it said uh, texas school di-, and it's it's a spoof folks it said the headline was uh texas school district uh bans all of the words in huckleberry finn except the n-word <laughs> because it was like reverse <laughs> going going reverse uh Racism on that deal. All right. They're mad at the school districts. And in Texas, I think to be at war with cities and counties is one thing. I think that that is more of a fair fight politically uh, among... Republicans and Democrats, because look, the Democrats don't care as much to come to the aid of their local governments. Uh, and Republicans certainly don't want to do that because in the big cities, those are generally run by Democrats, right? And we, we covered throughout the pandemic, uh, you know, the fights between uh, Mayor Sylvester Turner, who's a Democrat versus Greg Abbott, or Lena Hidalgo, who's a Democrat in Harris County versus uh, Greg Abbott. When you get to school districts, now you're talking about institutions across Texas that have a lot of Republican support, yeah. right? I mean a lot of Republican school board members, a lot of rural Texas is home to school districts that are the center of the community. Friday night lights and football, all the cool events that happen in town are centered around the school district in a lot of these small places. So some of those folks might wanna believe that in big city school districts, they have these problems, but they may not believe that about the people who they know and trust, uh, you know, to take care of their kids during the day each weekday, uh, you know, during the school year, to ask them to be pissed at the school districts in those places, it's a little bit different question. I started to believe, Jeremy, years ago that the Tea Party was a real thing when, and, you know, we heard all this noise after 2008 and 2010. Uh, about all the anger and backlash against President Obama and his administration, the Tea Party, and they were just, you know, really blowing up big all over the place. And of course, you had the big uh, wins for Republicans in 2010 as a backlash to Obama's victory in 08. I started to believe that this thing is a real thing. When bond issues in school districts around the state in Katy and in Allen and some of these other suburban places to build football stadiums, when some of those bond issues started to fail yeah, because tea party groups were campaigning against them. That told me that this isn't just talk, that this is something with real political power at the moment. Although I'm not sure how durable all that was. Eventually a lot of those places did build their stadiums. So you, you kind of go back and forth on that. I think about institutions that have broad, not just political support, but everybody likes them, right? School districts. What else? What else could people be mad about that everybody loves? You never would have thought that in the year of our lord 2021 the figure in the united states that would be such a lightning rod would be big bird would you
1: no definitely not would you have not. guessed that that no, would be that's my childhood you know on trial i think
0: <laughs> well yes um let's turn on fox news channel and listen to harris faulkner interviewing congressman chip roy they got into this question about Big Bird promoting, of all things, vaccines
7: to our children. Government funded. I want to make that clear. PBS government funded is using Big Bird to push vaccines for children.
0: Now, before I let Harris Faulkner say anything else, I do want to point out when she says government funded PBS, the Corporation for Public Broadcasting estimates the annual cost to an American taxpayer per year for public broadcasting is $1.35. Most, that means most of you are paying nothing for it, exactly nothing for it. Millionaires and billionaires probably pay 10 bucks for it, something like that. That's the average, right? Okay, so facts aside, the outrage over Big Bird continues.
7: Big Bird's account tweeted this out. I got the COVID-19 vaccine today. My wing is feeling a little sore, but it'll give my body an extra protective boost that keeps me and others healthy. Senator Ted Cruz responded this way government propaganda for your five-year-old one user wrote holy cow the indoctrination is real another joked what's the treatment for myocarditis in birds and now the president is getting in on the act tweeting good on you big bird getting vaccinated is the best way to keep your whole neighborhood safe congressman your thoughts
3: well, you just saw this morning in the Wall Street Journal a story and you referenced myocarditis about the studies that are now underway about the harms that might befall our children and those uh, that might take the vaccine and have these heart uh, issues. And so it is incumbent upon the American people to want to defend their own families, take care of their families. And now you got the government in its infinite wisdom coming in and trying to do propaganda to encourage kids to do superheroes. Pfizer actually ran a commercial calling kids superheroes for going and doing this and getting the vaccine, it's its absurd. This is why I publicly said, I will take no money from Pfizer, I'm not going to take any money from a company Mm. that's going to engage in that kind of propaganda. And frankly, I think Republicans, including the 13 who abandoned us on Friday and left us hanging in the wind, we need Republicans to stand up and say that we're not going to fund government on December 3rd with a continuing resolution if these mandates stay in place. So I'm calling on my colleagues to stand strong and not fund a government that's going to go do propaganda on our kids and put these unconstitutional mandates in place.
0: All right. I have... A few things to say about this jeremy i i I do think that we should clear one thing up what he said about myocarditis in children is extremely rare according to all of the research that i've seen and read about uh in regard to the to the vaccine um but to add to the silliness of all of this attacking big bird the anger at the muppets suddenly um is that you know big bird was promoting vaccines as early as 1972
7: Something's going on down at the store. I wonder what's... It's kind of funny. I mean, it's strange. I mean, there's... Well, there's all kinds of people, and they're all in a line, and they don't look like they're buying candy. And there's a sign that says, don't wait, vaccinate.
0: Not new, Jeremy. They've been doing this for quite some time. One of the things that PBS excels at, and their programming excels at, is teaching kids basic things, right? Like, you know, how to... How to comb your hair. How to long. How, how to get along with your brother and sister without having a fight. That sort of stuff. Reading, writing, mathematics. The mathematics didn't sink in as much as you know, with me as it did with you. You seem to be better at at numbers. But I think about the fact that in my own life, as somebody who grew up in rural Texas, where and we were talking about this a little bit in the in the pre-show, where our producer Sarah pointed out that look, uh, PBS, a lot of this programming is invaluable for children who are in urban areas, maybe don't have uh, the best access to education and and those sorts of resources, Uh, but also for a kid like me who grew up 30 minutes from El Campo, Texas. You know, it was an hour round trip to go from our family farm into the little town that most people never even heard of and then go back, right? So a, a, a trip into town was a big deal for us. It was one hour on the school bus When I got picked up at 7 a.m. to get to the school at 8 a.m., we lived out in the country. We didn't have any cable TV. We didn't have um, any of this stuff. No internet, nothing like that. That sounds like a different world, right? But you know there are kids in Texas right now today who have the same experience. Oh, yeah. Right? Maybe not in Wharton County where I grew up, but out in far west Texas, other places, uh, you have kids who don't have those kind of resources. And in uh, in my life, as someone who grew up, very isolated on a farm. Um, those kinds of programs were invaluable to me. I didn't even get to see all of the shows that I wanted to see on PBS because the bus ride was so long back to the house. You know, I think, uh, one of my favorite shows I only ever saw like the last 10 minutes of it because the bus ride was so long to get home. People ask me, Scott, how, Are you able to be somebody who can give big, you know, public speeches to big business groups and things like that? Go on the radio all the time, do a podcast, write news stories and all these sorts of things. Well, you know, I was learning at an early age about being more confident about yourself, learning about the outside world from some of these programs. And when I think about my career path, which was first as a disc jockey at 16 years old in Brenham, Texas, How did I get into doing news? Well, I've told this story before, but I'll tell it again. I was working later, uh, two years later, uh, at 18 years old in College Station. K-A-G-G, Aggie 96. Gig'em. I was never a big Aggie fan, but I appreciate Aggies. Anyway, my boss came to me one afternoon and he said, Scott, have you ever thought about doing news? And I said, no. I was 18. I was a country disc jockey. I didn't care about that. He said, well, I think you ought to give it a shot. And I think one of the reasons that I was probably open, this is all subconscious stuff, but it's stuff from your childhood, right? One of the reasons I was probably open to a job in journalism, which I've now had some success at, is because, as a little kid, I had seen Kermit the Frog as a reporter on Sesame Street.
4: We take you now to Kermit the Frog at the scene of another fast-breaking news story.
3: hi oh this is Kermit the Frog speaking to you from the scene of the accident. Uh, where Mr. Humpty Dumpty is just falling off of his
0: wall. You hate to see that. Humpty Dumpty falls right off of the wall, and of course he's smashed because Humpty Dumpty is an egg. Now, what would a reporter on the scene do to try to figure out what happens next? Well... He would try to get an interview right and who would he interview he would interview one of all of the king's horses
3: and we're going to get a word in with one of the king's horses here right now pardon me horse uh kermit the frog here at sesame street news can you tell us uh, just what's happening with mr dumpty over there
4: well uh dumpty's a tough egg yeah tough not egg, what you'd yeah. call hard-boiled or uh, anything hard-boiled, but right. he had a pretty bad fall bad fall yeah you, say? You, you could see part of him over there yes that's part mm-hmm. yeah there's another part of him uh gotcha another yeah, part. and right there that's the final part right there's the a of him. Yes, I see. Yep. Well, I got to get back to work, Frog.
0: You may think I'm being a little silly with this, but watching that is teaching little me, little Scott, the basics of how you put a news story together, right? Oh, by way, the way, that's almost scene.
1: exactly the interview that I had with Greg Abbott down in Corpus Christi, <laughs> right there. It was almost You're the like, same hey. thing. <laughs> You're
0: like, hey, you got a minute, and he he probably spent 30 seconds with yeah. you, right? So, I mentioned how much it costs for the average American to uh, even have PBS as a service. Okay, Um, and again, around a dollar, a dollar thirty, something like that. Do you know? I was doing some research on this because uh, Congressman Roy really got me thinking about this "quote-unquote" government propaganda. Do you know how much it costs, Mister Rogers, Fred Rogers, his first show, like the entire show? How much it costs to produce? Any guess?
1: No, not even a guess.
0: It's interesting. Thirty bucks total, but that, the thirty dollars, went almost. That's when almost no one could see it. Listen to this.
4: My first children's program was on WQED 15 years ago, and its budget was $30.
0: He was testifying before Congress in 1969. So the way PBS worked then, and I want people to understand this, the way it worked then and the way it still works is there is a mix of funding.
4: Now, with the help of the Sears-Roebuck Foundation, and National Educational Television, as well as all of the affiliated stations. Each station pays to show our program. It's a unique kind of funding in educational television.
0: He talked about helping children understand basic things about life and about controlling their emotions, not letting anger drive what they do. Jeremy, can you think of any people who could benefit from a lesson like that <laughs> yeah. these days? At the end of the hearing, at the end of the hearing, the chairman of the committee who had been talking about pulling funding from PBS had this to say:
4: I think it's wonderful. <sighs> Looks like you just earned the twenty
7: million dollars..
0: <laughs> yeah. Serious question here, Jeremy. Do you think that if Mr. Rogers today uh, was still around, and there was the question about, you know, propaganda on PBS of trying to, you know, indoctrinate children to take vaccines, and then you had Republican members of Congress saying they shouldn't even get any tax dollars, what kind of reception do you think uh, Mr. Rogers would get if he went to testify now in Washington? I could imagine some of the folks who we have featured on this show, like Louis Gohmert or chip roy having some really ugly things to say i could almost imagine that pbs might not want to send mr rogers up there to be put through that
1: yeah exactly you you wanted just a reception and it hasn't you know it's obviously been changed over the years it's like there are a lot of republicans who have been very supportive and part of you know sesame street and pbs and all those things It's like it's not you know i'm sure a lot of people listening to this remember when barbara bush You know, was on Sesame Street. Laura Bush went on Sesame Street. Uh, Ross Perot was on Sesame Street. You know, a lot of people probably forget that. But there was like all kinds of politicians that we know uh, in all different spectrums who have been on there, you know, to kind of, you know, present a message. You know, not to say that, like, you know, know, maybe Republicans think it's gone too far now. But, you know, certainly they've had a platform to have some influence in that as well. And Mm -hmm. it's just whether or not they want to take advantage of that.
0: Right. All right. If you enjoy this show and you know that you do, you should be a subscriber on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, have you listen to your favorite podcast. Give us the best rating that you can. That is five stars. Jeremy, I was checking some of the ratings uh, just recently for the show. It's almost always five stars. Every once in a while, there's somebody who's kind of ticked off about something that usually it's something I said, but it, it can be something you said sometimes. Usually me. I can be the big bird-like lightning rod sometimes, Um, but I thought here here might be a, a fun way for people to interact with the show. Go on there and give us your rating, and just be honest about it. We would like you to put five stars no matter what, but be honest with your rating. If you want to, when you type your review, you could ask us a specific question, right, like something, some topic you might want us to cover or something that you're just curious about. I'd like to know what you're thinking because people generally just say, man, this is a damn good show, and I like reading that, and you can write that too, but if you want to you know, interact a little bit, that would be cool. Give us that rating, five stars, write a review, it's all good. Subscribe at quorumreport.com and houstonchronicle.com, and we will see you here next week.